and equally for user testing, it's, it's brilliant because you can hand that prototype to someone and for all intents and purposes, that user thinks it's real because it works enough to give them that impression. Yeah. And it means the feedback you get back from them then is more genuine. You're not, they're not getting caught up in the prototype. Mm -hmm. They're just trying to engage with the content. Hello and welcome to Conversations with Each Another, a podcast about designing for people and business. My name is Tom Cunningham, I'm a senior visual designer here with Each Another, and today I'm joined by two of my colleagues, one of our senior visual designers, Mr. Patrick Cusack. Hi, Tom. And one of our senior UX designers, Mr. Brian Goff. Hi. Hi, Tom. Today we're going to be talking about collaboration and communication, with a particular emphasis on the design tools that we use. Up until about three years ago, we were using a whole range of different tools for different tasks across the team. Our UX designers had OmniGraffle and Balsamic, Axure, among other tools. And while our visual designers were using the likes of Photoshop, Illustrator, InDesign and After Effects for high fidelity comps and prototypes, we decided to do an audit on this because there were a number of issues here. So sharing and collaborating on files with each other was a pain. As a visual designer, I hated OmniGraffle and most of the team didn't have access to Photoshop. So even simple edits to Photoshop files would have to go through a visual designer. And as a result, we had a workflow that was siloed and constrained. We wanted to streamline the collaboration and the handover between teams. Um, so we did a review and refinement of what we use. Photoshop is a, an interesting one. In the past, when we worked on web projects, it's quite common to kind of uh, have a huge amount of files. The difficulty there really, really was, you know, Photoshop started out as a, a photo editing tool and it kind of became used as this um, as a for something it wasn't necessarily designed for. And what that meant is like in the past, I'd worked on web projects where I had one file per screen, which meant that if there were several pages, you would have a file for each page. But not only that, you would have a file for each state of that page if you were designing responsibly. Mm -hmm. And then if you came across the problem where you may have to edit the header or footer across every page, it became actually a very intensive task to do something quite simple. And so you might spend a day or two making very rudimentary edits to something that actually now would take five minutes to do using kind of more modern processes. Absolutely. I remember one particular project that I worked on and there was like dozens and dozens of screens and the client that we're dealing with were very anal about what they saw and, and the details that they were sharing around. So they wanted, there was a couple of text changes that needed to be made, but because it was spread out over so many different Photoshop files, it meant I had to go in, open, close and change these things for dozens and dozens of screens just to share them around, which is kind of the whole process itself needed to be redefined. But um, yeah, an absolute nightmare. And as you're saying, the file size are really large. And I found like when I was working with them as well, version control and maintenance was a real issue. So as opposed to having everything in one file, when things are spread out over numerous different uh, Photoshop files or whatever, Illustrator files, that it was a, a real nightmare to try and stay on top of things. Obviously, there were there were problems with, with like, the likes of those tools. I remember myself and yourself discussing them a number of years ago. And we're like, if only there was a tool that you could kind of do this thing, you can kind of do that thing. Lo and behold, the likes of Sketch came along and we were like, wait, remember all those things we were talking about that we wish that these other tools that we had could do? Um, this can do it, like, you know, the likes of smart objects, well, sim symbols and uh, all the versatility that Sketch has. So that's a big part of our workflow at the moment. So we can get into detail a little bit more about that. But um, Brian, look, what are your thoughts on, on using changing over from tools that you had before to what we're using now? Yeah, so it, it's probably worth mentioning that for a long time I worked as a print designer. So um, all this is sort of familiar to me, albeit in a, in a slightly different world. Whereas when I started out, um, we were using Quark. Um, and in order to get Quark exported for print, I believe 
Um, there was no way to actually even package the files. You had to actually do it manually to uh, save the cork file and then put all the PH or PSD rather or the JPEG files into a different into a folder along with the fonts and so on. So there was no workflow there. When InDesign came out, um, that was quite a revolution because all of a sudden you could package everything and it would be all in one folder, images, the fonts, uh, the whole kit and caboodle. Um, so that was really exciting. Uh, but in the context of, of a program like InDesign or even Quark, uh, doing the kinds of things that Patrick mentioned there of being able to change uh, laterally across all different files or different pages uh, was was uh, was easy. That was all sort of accounted for. Photoshop, when it was first established, I'm sure was there to kind of facilitate photographers rather than it was to kind of facilitate digital um, design or even to some extent perhaps even print design. I think as that software has developed like an awful lot of Adobe's products, it's just it's gained an awful lot of feature sets. Bloat. Bloat. Yeah, you could call it bloat. Um, I still think that, that Photoshop is a great uh, tool. Uh, I enjoy using it. Um, but however, I can see why there would have been an appetite for uh, an application that was more focused and more streamlined uh, in what people need to get out of it. So in essence, like a, a program like Sketch is taking all the best parts of something like Flash, some of Fireworks even, and some of uh, Illustrator, and it's it's able to kind of compile them. You're going way back there with uh, Flash and Fireworks. <laughs> I know, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. Flash is great. I used to love Flash. Yeah. But it's interesting even to note that like if, uh, Adobe have changed the name of the Flash application now to, I think... Um, Animate. Animate, yeah. And I think that just kind of goes to show how much, at this point, Flash has almost become like a dirty word in some way. And I think the important thing now is, um, one of the things that I think we've found is when we switched over, so as, as I said, it's about two or three years, I think it's about three years since we switched over to, to Sketch, it leveled the playing field. As I said before, where he'd come back to me or like to Patrick to make edits to a Photoshop file, we're all now using Sketch. So it's really opened up the, the playing field and allowed us to collaborate a lot more. So it's it's less of that kind of waterfall. OK, you give me, you know, we'll sketch up stuff and maybe you mock up wireframes or I'll do the, the visual comps. In a way, we've actually nearly like leapfrogged the use of wireframes altogether. Now we just kind of sketch and it's, it's a component of how we've changed the way we work. Whereas we're a much more of a unified team. I think one of the strengths about Sketch for us then is it means that like if someone's putting together wireframes, they can do that in Sketch. That file can be handed over to a designer and they can, if they want to, they can work over the same file or very easily take bits out and, uh, you know, bring them into the file they're working on. It makes actually the transfer between, say, UX and visual design much more seamless. Mm -hmm. uh, because like you said, in the past, you're working with wireframing application and getting them into whatever software you're using to design can actually be difficult at times. The kind of wider discussion that we're talking about here is almost not just about tools, but about the changing in processes. Totally. And again, you know, I think where Sketch on its own isn't necessarily what's happened here. It's Sketch and InVision and everything else that can kind of support it. And what's exciting for me about Sketch is uh, just how many plugins have already been created for it and just how open they are to getting people to generate plugins for Sketch. So they've adopted a really sort of open approach rather than this kind of closed, traditional closed model mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't necessarily have relevance yeah. uh, anymore in the space we work in. That's a really important point. I think if you compare the kind of community around Sketch to the likes of Creative Cloud, it's, it is a much more open community. And you have often quite successful plugins, the likes of Vision have the Craft plugin, which I think has become very important to a lot of people. And also there's a one called Auto Layout, which has become popular at the moment. And actually, that is taking the platform of Sketch and building on it in really interesting ways. They've tackled some problems that have started to emerge 
when it comes to designing for responsive websites. Particularly if you've ever had to do it, you quite often have to create several states of the same screen. And that can actually be kind of a laborious task of just pixel pushing things around. And actually what Auto Layout enables you to do, which is very clever, is instead of pushing pixels around, you can actually just define relationships between things and then generate multiple screens based on that. Elements in Sketch behave according to a set of rules instead of like uh, being fixed and things like that. And that's really clever, I think. And there's also applications coming out off the back of that. There's an application called Subform, which is looking into exactly that idea. But that all started from a Sketch community. You know, it's something that possibly wouldn't happen if it weren't for this kind of open culture around Sketch. That's a good indication of how well suited or how well Sketch fits the market. And how the market is fitted to Sketch as well. So the point you made about around Envision, you know, so you've got like a third party separate soft pieces of software working together harmoniously. And I think that's something that we hadn't seen before with likes of Photoshop and Creative Cloud. It was kind of a closed system. And as you said, like the, when when there was a new version coming out, it was kind of it was very much a ta-da, you know, here's look what we do. Look how amazing we were. We are. Look at all these features that you can use that look very shiny as part of the keynote presentation. But how many times do you actually find yourself using them, you know, whereas the really powerful thing is the, it's, it's that sense of community where someone can kind of go, hmm, I figured out I'm, I'm working out this hack and here's a here's a way to do that. So I can share this with you. You can take that plug in and you can do all these new things. You can kind of customize the tool that you spend most of your day working in. Yeah. And there's a fundamental difference there. Uh, Adobe are under pressure to sell new versions of Photoshop. So they create features that they can market. Mm -hmm. Um, but they're not necessarily features that actually respond to the needs of designers in a day-to-day -day basis. So the likes, I don't know if you've ever used 3D in Photoshop, it's there. I'm sure a lot of development effort went into making it possible, but I've certainly never used it. Sketch, by contrast, um, has a community that, you, like you say, can respond to a problem and create something that is actually responding to a need and not the pressure to market and sell a new version of Photoshop. Mm. So that difference is fundamental and it means that Sketch is better able to respond to the design community maybe than perhaps Photoshop is. Mm. Can I talk about the elephant in the room here? It's cheaper. <laughs> I think Adobe at this stage have probably um, shot themselves in the foot with their pricing structure. Um, I hear an awful lot of people complain about it. Sure, you know, if you're dealing with legacy files and you've been working with Adobe for a long time, but I think many of us were ready to just make the jump into using Sketch uh, and kiss it goodbye. Mm -hmm. Not that there's any lo uh, love lost for Adobe. We still love it, but it just doesn't make sense anymore financially uh, or practically. Yeah, well, I still use it, but I use the likes of Photoshop, like uh, whereas before Photoshop, and Illustrator would be open on my desktop, you know, 95% of the time. Now I open and use them for what they're intended to be. So I'll open Photoshop for image manipulation or something like that. So if I can't do in Sketch uh, and then I'll export it and close it, you know, because I'm thinking, oh, you know, you're just a memory hug. I don't need you open there. Um, so as you're saying, like for there's th there's still a use for it, but for the vast majority of people, the likes of Sketch will probably do the job much better. And even it's funny now, Sketcher have changed their pricing model. They had a one-off price, which was like $199, I think, initially. And now they've changed to a slightly, like a, not a subscription model, but an update model. So it's kind of moved back to, to the way Photoshop and Illustrator used to be, only for, you know, you'd be talking about thousands for them. And now you're talking about like €100, Euro, $100, something like that. Well, let's see what the future brings. No doubt in 10 years time, we might be having a different conversation about a different application. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's traditionally how these things move, isn't it? Um, yeah. Particularly, I remember when uh, Adobe brought out InDesign versus Quark, and back to talking about print here again, um, they made it really cheap. In fact, I think they might have even given it away for free as part of a bundle. And then over the years, they were able to build up the credibility and um, people switched over to it. They're all kind of invested in it. They've got all their legacy files in InDesign 
And so now they just have to buy it. I think the, one of the key things is, is actually a story of like, you know, David versus Goliath story and complacency within software or within products where you think everything is going to be fine. Oh, we've got such a big market share where, you know, where you cannot topple us. And all it takes is someone to come along leaner, faster, with more with a more focused product to just usurp you or topple you from your crown. Yeah, I've listened to, to users, listen to, to the people who are using it and, and are able to reflect that in the product they're putting out there. Yeah, and you can, there's evidence that uh, Adobe are concerned about that because you, in a recent version of Photoshop, they started to introduce features directly lifted from Sketch, really, if you're on, if we're honest, about how you how easy it is to export things from there, multiple artboards, various things like that. So they are very conscious of Sketch as a threat and they're trying to respond by copying their features, really. Learning from their features. <laughs> but I think a really important thing about Sketch is that it's become widely adopted across the kind of our industry. But it's also the focus, it's the center of an ecosystem of apps that make prototyping really easy. So Sketch works really well with other tools like, uh, you know, Principle, uh, Zeppelin, uh, Envision, all of which have a role to play in kind of like prototyping screens that you're working on and, you know, bringing them to life in different ways. Photoshop can also be part of that, but it's you get the feeling that like Sketch is part of the core of these other applications and they work really well as an ecosystem. To me, it seems a little bit Photoshop doesn't fit as neatly into that kind of ecosystem as, as Sketch does now. So moving on, I think it's a good segue into it. So we're obviously talking about design tools. Sketch is great for mocking up things. Photoshop as well is equally very powerful. So but one of the key points I think that has changed about our whole workflow in the last number of years is that it's not just static mockups that are sent around and, you know, because we're dealing with responsive design, multiple screen size, multiple uh, you know, device sizes and that kind of thing, that the ability to be able to photo prototype quickly is, uh, is is really important. So, I mean, previously, back in the days when, when uh, you know, a couple of years ago, we'd use, you know, obviously Photoshop and for prototyping, I'd use the likes of, you know, even After Effects. So you can do anything in After Effects. It's really high fidelity. There's a high learning curve there, but you can pretty much do anything you want. The main problem there, though, is at the end, the export is a video. It's not actually a prototype. I mean, you can export it and be clever about it and put it on your phone or whatever. But basically, you've just got to sit back and look and watch this video, <laughs> you know, as opposed to being able to interact with something. Yeah, and it's it's another example of using an application for not really its intended purpose. Again, we're sort of hacking Photoshop to do web layouts for us. And in that sense, you're hacking After Effects a little bit to make a prototype. Mm -hmm. But it was probably never intended for that. It can do certain things that make bring a prototype to life, but you don't have that streamlined approach that like, you know, Sketch is designed perfectly for designing responsively. Yeah. And there are other tools that suit prototyping better than maybe After Effects does. It's the difference, isn't it? Being able to sort of showcase something that's kind of sexy and looks slick uh, using After Effects, that has its place. But if you want people to actually, um, you know, uh, interact with it and find out how this thing is pieced together, how it's actually functioning as an app, and not just as a as a nice looking veneer. Mm. Um, you know, obviously we need to be building prototypes, but there's a really we need to obviously talk about the, the reason for that. I mean, the, the kinds of needs for t of teams and product teams these days, if you look at how Spotify have arranged their processes, they're not uh, dealing with, as you were talking about earlier on, Tom, waterfall process at all. You know, they're coming together as teams or squads, as they call them, with product managers heading it up, with dev, with design um, and other players. And they're questioning the idea and they pro going to prototype as quickly as possible, testing it for viability, seeing if this idea is worth actually pursuing any more effort and so on. And just adopting that kind of approach. And it's very similar to what we do here in each another. Um, you know, it makes sense then to be able to get the prototype quick. 
Well, it's our process. So whether it's paper, you know, whether it's paper prototypes on pages, uh, or jumping into something like you know doing, doing something mock up, even taking a photograph, and stringing those images together in the likes of in pop or in vision or anything. The power there is that you can quickly get to a prototype that you can get in someone's hands and test it and see if it's working or not. And obviously, we're going into the details of the tools here, but the the, the main benefit of them is that it's just made it's made that process easier, so you can make decisions more quickly. Um, on the example of After Effects, I think one of the key downfalls of that, as well as the fact that it's just a video, is uh, you hand that over to a developer uh, and they might go, that looks great. What's going on here? <laughs> you, you know, you've got stuff moving all over the place. How do I understand wh where that element comes from? You know, the thinking around the transitions and the animations and the easings and all the types of stuff. I think it's very easy to get for the likes of After Effects to kind of steer you down a kind of motion graphics slash animation route. And just because you can do things, you're more likely to try them in there. Whereas, you know, if, if it's if it's a bit more restricted or if it's kind of if it's more interface orientated, then you can kind of strip back. You might think maybe this is the best thing to do as opposed to this is what we can do, you know. And that's an interesting point. And just going back to Photoshop very quickly as well. Um, if you were to have handed someone that After Effects file, it's very hard for them to actually work out the spacing and the dimensions of certain things. There really is no easy way for them to do that. Equally with Photoshop, I remember working on files where you'd have to annotate screens and that was a, a nightmare, really. Mm -hmm. Like you're drawing labels over things going, this is 50 pixels from that and this, you know, and that's actually a real nightmare. Sketch makes that easier by allowing you to like work with programs like uh, Envision and Zeppelin. They can take a lot of that pain away, particularly Zeppelin probably was the first one to kind of tackle that problem uh, properly, where you can import your sketch file into it and all of the, the dimensions are calculated because Zeppelin can understand the elements within sketch. Mm. And it means then when you hand over to a developer, ideally, they should be able to see the dimensions uh, really easily without the need to do any annotating. So it actually makes life a lot easier by doing just performing a very simple task, but taking away quite a lot of pain. It makes it easy for both sides, right? Because anytime I've seen a developer here talk about Zeppelin, they get excited because it means less work. They're not chasing you to find out more information and so on. It's there, uh, you know, and it's being very quickly sort of documented and annotated, as you're saying. I think it's developers and, and quality assurance testers. Of course. As well. So that's one of the key things when our QI team, they've said that like, it's great that you can actually just, just see the, diff the distance between elements and click on something and just see a read-only view of what size that type is and the treatments and that kind of thing. Exception like is a great tool. And I think in their words, I think they, they frame it as design handoff has never been easier, generate style guides and resources automatically. And, you know, I think it's pretty faithful. That's pretty spot on to what they what they actually do. Um, I think it's made our workflow easier. Yeah, and one of the one of the great things is that you can you don't have to have Zeppelin to see the files, so you can share a web version of a Zeppelin file, and it means that if you're working with a developer who's working on a PC or they don't have the Zeppelin application, that doesn't matter. You can still share them share a web version with them, and they can see everything they need to see. Whereas some other tools, the likes of Inspect within within Envision, which does a similar job, uh, it's a bit more restrictive because you have to be a paid member to be able to see it. So I think the openness of Zeppelin and sharing with people that don't have either the same platform or the same application, mm -hmm. it's really powerful. Mm -hmm. So we're obviously talking a lot about design tools here. What does a real world application look like from, from moving from design into a prototype? Yeah, I worked on a project recently where um, I was working on an updated design for an application. And what I found really helpful was um, I had all my screens laid out in Sketch. But as we were talking about it, Really, you have to take it further than just static screens to to kind of be able to test it or to kind of check it with 
clients and get feedback and things like that. What I found really great was uh, being able to take those screens into an application called Principle and build a really engaging prototype very easily. I was actually amazed at how easy it was. I would um, take my static screens, bring them into Principle, and it allows you to very easily bring those screens to life, which is really powerful. And I created a presentation that was aimed to try and get sort of buy-in from the clients, mm -hmm. to try and get them excited about a change to their uh, to their kind of UI approach, I suppose. Principle was really great because without very much effort, you can start to animate the transitions between certain screens or flesh out the interactions of certain elements in a way that is not really possible when you're trying to describe to someone looking at a flat screen. Well, imagine if it worked like this. You can sort of put those interactions together uh, very easily. There was a lot of elements going on on a map interface and to kind of bring that to life, it's much more impressive to be able to show it. It looked and felt finished. So I remember yeah, seeing exactly. it looked, looked great. Yeah, and it's, and, so, and equally for user testing, it's, it's brilliant because you can hand that prototype to someone. And for all intents and purposes, that user thinks it's real because it works enough to give them that impression. Yeah. And it means the feedback you get back from them then is more genuine. You're not, they're not getting caught up in the prototype. Mm -hmm. They're just trying to engage with the content. Yeah. And principle helps to break down that barrier so that it's not a wireframe prototype or, you know, it's very easy to imagine. This just feels like the finished product. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's also testing the kind of transitions and the kind of uh, you know, how things are revealed to you on the screen as opposed to just like a static mock-up that we, everything is there. Yeah, because I don't think you're done when you've designed static screens. Uh, you need uh, Principle allows you to think about the interactions and that's a whole layer on top of what those static mm -hmm. screens are and sometimes can go overlooked. And because it's so easy to create those uh, transitions and behaviors in principle, you can try things out and then try something else. Like, um, it's not a laborious task. You're not coding it. It's done visually. Uh, so for example, even just to create a, uh, an animation in principle, it's as simple as having two artboards and something on one artboard, if it's in a different position on the second, principle will animate the difference. Mm -hmm. So creating those animations is really, really simple. You're not writing code. And you can try things out and experiment and iterate really quickly and easily. Um, and for actually for a visual example of that, you, if you look on our future of banking piece that we did, I use principle to mock up that app. So and then I videoed it, videoed it afterwards. So you can actually look at it. It actually to, to, to play around with that actually feels real. So when users were interacting with, it, they were like, oh, yeah, like, and I can see how this thing loads up and it feels so seamless and very slick, whereas it's quite, I wouldn't call it a dumb prototype, but it's not a lot of, you know, intelligence going on in the background. It just it appears to be real. It immediately gives a credibility that users can see it. Uh, you know, in their hand and then it's working. I suppose if there's any kind of uh, perhaps thing uh, negative to that, it's that things become concrete very quickly. So it's important to not get too precious about what you've actually put out there and just to keep, uh, you know, reiterating it and uh, just, you know, cutting it up and starting again. Yeah, very slick animations in a UI can really make something feel premium. But at the same time, they may not be the key features that you need to have in your app or your, pro your product. So they could be things that you do further down on the roadmap. But if you're hitting the key things that a user needs, um, they can be just kind of future features. Uh, another tool I use, I know we're talking a lot about tools, but since it's the topic of the podcast, I think something that I use a lot in my workflow, and it's not actually a prototyping tool um, per se, but it's a really effective way of getting a feeling for how responsive design should work. And it's a tool called Webflow. I've been using this for the last three years or so. And it's actually, it's a kind of a what you see is what you get editor for creating responsive websites. And it's really quick to work with. Um, and, you know, you can actually publish things and make a real website. We actually did a prototype of our own website using Webflow and at a later date of coding it out. But um, one of the things that I find that's really useful about that, as I said, is that it's 
instead of having multiple different mockups, you're actually creating a responsive website. So it actually, you can actually just send the same link to different people with different devices and you'll see how they behave on the different devices. So it's a really, really powerful tool, I think, you know, Prototyping is not one of Webflow's core offerings, I think, but they saw how people were using it and they've since kind of latched onto that and showed you how to uh, how to prototype and, and get things to a finished level very quickly. There's a kind of a medium learning curve. I think what they do really well is like they've got lo loads of tutorials who walk you through it. So um, I've actually, I've used it for building my own website and it's published, it's created in Webflow. I do a lot of stuff in Webflow. So um, I like, I'm a big proponent of using that tool. It, it can be expensive. I think they've got like a free offering where you can do like two websites, but I don't think you can export the code, but you can get a good feel for how it works. Um, but it can be expensive because it's a, it's a subscription model. But if it's something that you can integrate into your workflow and use a lot, it's, I think it's really powerful. So between, for me, Sketch, Webflow and Principle are like the tr my three go-to, uh, my main go-to tools. Obviously Envision is great for prototyping as well, but for a higher level of fidelity, those three are my, my, my go-to guys. I think one big target Webflow have in mind is the kind of freelance designer. And they want to enable that designer to produce not only the static designs, but to deliver a finished website at the end of it. Mm -hmm. So again, they make it possible without necessarily knowing how to code um, really well. Although I think Webflow does rely on a certain amount of knowledge of HTML and CSS. But they're trying to empower that freelance designer to deliver not just the designs, but the finished site mm -hmm. as well. And I think a lot of their, how they talk about themselves is geared around that. Mm -hmm. um, just empowering this freelance designer to kind of deliver the finished product as well. And within the product team, you know, it's a really, it's a really effective way of showing your intent and sharing it around as well, because they're just sending around a link. Okay, so some key takeaways. There's two things I feel at least yeah. that need to be uh, addressed by tools that are being used by uh, designers like us. It's agility and it's workflow. Uh, agility so we can realize things quickly, get them into our hands as we talked about there, and then be able to kind of quickly communicate that with a dev or a QA or somebody else on the team. And in terms of workflow then, having products that connect seamlessly with other products, that there isn't any sort of sense of there being a kind of closed or walled garden. And that, uh, yeah, that there's the freedom then to for other people to chip in and build plugins or build complementary apps. And that's the way I think it needs to go. Mm -hmm. And even though we're talking shop, there's a real value for teams to optimize their workflow and really think about the tools that they're using and how they're interacting with each other. Because personal preferences for different tools can often lead to a bloated workflow. Whereas if you can put your preferences aside and, and, and really think about what the, what are the tools that you should be using that's best for your team, that's best for the product, that's best for communicating and collaborating with clients, that'll really help you get things done in a very efficient manner. Yeah, and I think the personal preference point you made is a, an important one. You want to be at a stage where if I finish a project, you could pick it up after me very easily and kind of sort of know where things are, know what the tools are. We have a standard approach, standard set of tools. Whereas in the past, particularly probably around some of the wireframing tools, it would have been a wide range of those things. And you say, oh, Tom used um, OmniGraffle and I don't like using OmniGraffle. So, you know, you kind of get rid of, by standardizing the set of tools, you get rid of those kind of challenges where we've all agreed Sketch offers a lot to us in terms of productivity and like uh, it's become the industry standard as well. But if we're agreed that we're all going to use it, it means that I can hand over to you easily mm. and equally I can work on a project that you've started. Yeah. And that kind of transfer between people is much easier. Yeah. So it's all about efficiency and productivity, really. It's a, it's a no brainer for teams. Thanks very much for your time today, guys. No worries, Tom. Really enjoyed talking about this, actually. Yeah, I'd take any chance to geek out about Sketch and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> for more information, uh, check out our website, eachnother.com. Till next time.